if they're too selfish to help you with a move because it interferes with their golf game, hmm. how are they going to take time off to help you with a child or with hmm. something more important? So you really do sadly have to judge a relationship on its bad days. days. You do. I mean, it, that's the that that's the the test of a relationship. everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Uncoupling, where we talk about breakups and more importantly, how to move through them with self-empowerment. I'm absolutely fangirling this week because she just got done hearing a mouthful from me of how big of a fan I am. But I am so honored that Dr. Ramani Dervasula, Dr. Ramani is on the program today. Thank you so much. Thank for you, Holland. You're too sweet. Thank you so much. I'm just excited because no one talks about this topic like you do. And Thank she you. is a clinical psychologist in Los Angeles. She is the professor emerita, am I pronouncing this emerita. emerita of psychology at California State University, Los Angeles. She's the CEO of Luna Foundation Training and Consulting, a company focusing on education of clinicians, businesses, and institutions on the impact of narcissistic personality styles. And she's an author of multiple books, but it's also including her upcoming title, It's Not You, Identifying and Healing from Narcissistic People, you can pre-order it now, but it's coming out in February 2024. And just a little side note, there will be an audiobook which she is voicing, which I will be picking up as well. Thank you so much Thank for you, coming Mom. on the program. Thank you. Thank you. Can I first just start off because there's hours of questions I could bombard you with, but today we'll focus on just the the precipice of a breakup, going through the breakup, and then after a breakup, mm -hmm. what can you do? Mm -hmm. But to get started, how did you know you wanted to specialize in this topic as a psychologist? Like anything, when we were, we don't, no one, I didn't set out to do this. Let me put okay. it that way. It kind of happened to me. I, I started in my research when I was looking at people with these kinds of difficult personalities and mm -hmm. how they impacted healthcare settings and how it affected their own healthcare. So that's how I got started. I had a private practice where many, many clients were had these kinds of relationships. And I think mm -hmm. what was interesting about it is when I trained to become a therapist, it was sort of pre-internet, right? So we didn't have cell phones and emails and all that. It would really only be unless someone had a handwritten letter. But now so much communication is that way. You have these clients really bringing in the text exchanges, mm, the, the voicemails, and you'd hear it. So people like, how do you know they were like that? I was like, yeah, listen, th there's no way this person fabricated this, right? You could tell right. by how the sequence was. You really could read what was happening there. And then what happened was as I was doing more and more research on this, and I dug deeper and deeper into the literature, theoretical literature, clinical literature. I'm like, everyone's writing about narcissism, but nobody's writing about what's happening to the people in these relationships. There was a smattering of books here and there, but it was never the primary folks. And I'm like, this is a disaster. Mm -hmm. How are we not talking about this? And it was interesting because a lot of people ask me, did you get into this because it happened to you? What's fascinating is it did happen to me, mm -hmm. but those dots didn't get connected until probably decades into this process, which I found my own form of denial and, and not seeing it yeah. and trauma bonding and all of that. But and it has happened to me. So it's not it's not just academic to me. For me, it's very much I could see it's happened to me in family relationships, intimate relationships, in friendships, in workplace relationships. And mm -hmm. taken together, these relationships really changed the course of my life. When I look at some of the most pivotal moments in my life, it was changes I had to make to potentially either get out of a relationship or change a job because of one of these relationships or whatever it might have been. And it really impacted my identity, mostly in negative ways, I have to right. be honest with you. But And I saw 
what was happening. And I saw, no one was writing about this, and I saw that the field of mental health was so concerned on like, well, you know, they're going, the narcissistic person's going through something. I'm like, what? So then these people are sort of assigned to the role of punching bags in perpetuity? Exactly. I was like, no, I don't It doesn't so. lead to another diagnosis. No, this no, is no, the no, diagnosis. No. Right, so right. I, that's, that's how I got into it. And then when I saw how much this work could directly help clients in my practice, how it was helping people that I was teaching in large groups, and how therapists were really hungry for this knowledge. That's kind of how I ended up here. Mm. Yeah. Well, we're really grateful that you're filling the hole. Thank you. And especially, like you said, being able to see the evidence from your clients mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. yeah. the text messages, the voicemails, mm -hmm. and that helps you mm -hmm. identify the mm -hmm. situation. Yeah. 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 So there. to just clarify, there's a difference between you say there's a difference between narcissism as a description, not a diagnosis, and then there's a narcissistic personality yeah. disorder. Yeah. Will you briefly describe the difference for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, it's a technical difference, right? So when we talk about any personality disorder, it's a whatever comprises that personality disorder, but really pervasive, really stable, really consistent, and a healthcare practitioner working with a person or evaluating the person sees it it's shown up in a variety of situations right mm -hmm. in our field we cannot diagnose someone from a distance so it's very likely that many of these clients I was working with their spouses partners family members had NPD I wouldn't know mm -hmm. they didn't come into the office the narcissist we all have personalities narcissistic personalities one of many personality styles it's considered a more maladaptive personality style, but a style is not a disorder. And it is mm. a lot of folks who have narcissistic personality styles either, A, never get into a therapist's office so they don't right. get diagnosed and probably do have the personality disorder, or it's happening at sort of right under a threshold that we might think maybe this doesn't quite meet the threshold. But I think it's mostly that they're not getting evaluated. And people are getting so lost in the weeds of, mm -hmm. does this person have NPD or not? I'm like, it doesn't matter. If you tell me the patterns that are happening here, they're not good for you. Not, you don't even need to label them. You right. just have to focus on how these patterns are harming you. Which is a big topic we talk about mm -hmm. in this uh, this podcast. Mm -hmm. It's not about the person who's doing it. It's about the person receiving it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you feel, mm -hmm. feel wronged and you need mm -hmm. to get out of it. Briefly, would you discuss, because you can... Def I definitely recommend our listeners to go to Med Circle, to go to Dr. Amani, mm -hmm. your YouTube channel... And she goes into detail about many different kinds of narcissists, but you say there's four main types of narcissists. Yeah, mm -hmm. Can we briefly go through that just because I think that'll help yeah. us talking about breakups? Let me go backwards for a second. Yeah. Just to be very clear, a person who's a narcissistic personality is a person whose personality is characterized by inconsistent or low empathy, entitlement, grandiosity, arrogance. They are often seeking excessive validation or admiration. They're very selfish. They're very superficial. They're mm -hmm. vain. They can be very controlling, manipulative. They tend to gaslight. They take advantage of other people. That's sort of in total what narcissism is, okay? Okay. So when we talk about these subtypes of narcissism, you got to remember one thing. Before I get to even to the types, mm -hmm. there's sort of a spectrum of narcissism. Okay. At the mild end, Definitely not NPD, but it would be more of a person who is very selfish, very almost emotionally stunted, very vain. Look at me. I'm so great. I'm so cool. They're immature. They're not present with other people. They they are takers, definitely not givers. They're it, there's a shallow, vapid quality. That they might grow out of if that's a teenager. And, and they, yeah, they, I even, I, there's adults like this. Right. We're and talking adulthood. They're adults right. like this. And 
they would be, they're almost harmless. They're annoying. And I don't think, I know you couldn't have a deep, sustained, meaningful, intimate relationship with them. Mm. They probably wouldn't be the healthiest parents. So they're not, you know what I'm saying? They can't go deep. There's a real immaturity to them. Harmful? No. Okay. At the far end of the spectrum, you have one of the types I'm going to talk about, the malignant, more severe malignant narcissist. Mm -hmm. These are folks who are more coercive, manipulative, exploitative. There is a callousness to them. You sometimes even feel a sense of menace or danger. But in the middle is where m what most of us are dealing with. Okay. Moderate narcissistic folks who are, they run hot and cold. Their days are, they might seem lovely, but the days they're mean, they're mean. And there's, people will always say, like, how do I get back to the good day? There's nothing you can do. You're almost tolerating this roller coaster. But the problem is it's not a mild roller coaster. It's days of being cr criticized, mm -hmm. gaslighted, manipulated, devalued. And then a day that's going well for the moderate mm -hmm. narcissist you would think they hung the moon and they'll think you hung the moon and lots of idealization and then mm. bam, you're right back down to it. So understanding that there's a spectrum is why the person who's dealing with a mild sort of Instagram-y narcissist is having a very different experience than someone who's dealing with a really malignant. severe malignant narcissist. When we talk about these subtypes, the first one we typically think of is the grandiose narcissistic person. This is sort of your stereotypical textbook narcissistic person, attention-seeking, flamboyant, grandiose, I'm so great, they're bragging, they're arrogant. It's what we traditionally easier think to spot, of, right? right? Much easier to spot. The second type of narcissistic person is the vulnerable narcissist. This one is a little bit more difficult to spot. It's more resentful, sullen, angry, brooding, aggrieved. They're constantly the victim. They the can even be, the them. world's out to get them. Yeah. They can seem somewhat socially anxious where the grandiose narcissists are super extroverted. Let's all go party. The, the vulnerable narcissists at times can seem more turned inwards, shy, socially awkward, even introverted. Right. So we look at them and we don't think narcissist. In fact, we kind of like kind of sad, but they, their entitlement is more of a I, you know, I never succeeded because I never got a fair break. Mm -hmm. No one ever, like, I, there were no easy chances for everyone else got ahead because they had whatever they had, mm -hmm. right? Everyone else was lucky. Then there are the malignant narcissists. The malignant narcissists are those most severe narcissistic folks. Awful. In fact, very close to what we'd consider psychopathy. Callous, calculating, cold, um, malevolent, manipulative, Again, they'll isolate a partner. They will um, put them potentially in a position of risk. They will take it, like I said, frequently take advantage of them. Mm -hmm. These are relationships that can get very dangerous. Uh, people will sometimes feel feel like if I leave this relationship, there could be even more danger that comes. Right. And then there are communal narcissistic people. Communal narcissistic people get that necessary validation that all narcissistic folks need by sort of portraying themselves or acting in the world as though they're humanitarians or rescuers or grand, like, charitable, the do they do the charitable do-gooders. Yeah. And one would say, well, how's that narcissistic? Because they're doing those things solely for validation. Mm -hmm. So they're the kind of folks who will seem like a pillar of the community, this great sort of ambassador for a cause. But behind closed doors, they're wretched people. They're right. mean. They'll often mistreat volunteers or lower-level staff or their own families. Mm. But to the world, they seem like the most humanitarian person in the world. And so 
the, and communal narcissistic people can also be cult leaders, people who put mm. messages out there into the world where I know the answer, I'm going to help you all, I'm going to save you all. And people go to them for wisdom or knowledge or enlightenment. And then what happens is that this person is actually really cruel, calculating, manipulative, using this sort of power they right. have as a do-gooder to control other people. I think it's so important to break them down. Yeah. Because it is, I had never heard of a communal narcissist mm. before, before mm. you were... Uh, YouTube videos. And so uh, I found that fascinating. Mm -hmm. Do you mm -hmm. find that people can oscillate between the categories? Like they're mostly vulnerable, but if they're with really good friends, all of a sudden they're grandiose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so I think that people can be combinations of the types. Now, all grandiose narcissistic folks, if stuff really goes wrong for them, you're almost going to see it like a tips for them. Mm. And they start looking more vulnerable, more victimized, more aggrieved, more sullen, more resentful. A person who's primarily a vulnerable narcissist, like you said, they're with good friends or things really turn around for them, you're going to see the grandiose the part. Grandiose so there's sort of like one of those things that sort of keeps, it's a, they're two counterweights to each other. Yeah. You can see vulnerable narcissistic folks who are also malignant narcissists. You can see communal narcissistic mm -hmm. folks that are also vulnerable. You can see the types mix. Okay. In fact, someone today, in my, I was doing something in my healing program, and someone had brought up the issue of a communal, vulnerable, narcissistic mm -hmm. mother. And I could imagine that's a mother who often would be, woe is me, I did so much for you kids, and you can't even show up for me, but would probably be the person who is visiting people in the hospital and bringing lots of people cookies and saying, aren't I a saint? I do so much for other people. Why right. doesn't anyone do anything for me? That I imagine would be what that person's experience was like. Okay. Yeah. So how would you then dis define a narcissistic relationship mm -hmm. and that precipice of feeling there's something's not right in the relationship when one partner's feeling is this person just not right for me or am I in a narcissistic relationship? Correct. So listen, the sense that someone's not right for you could be that you don't have similar interests, you don't have similar rhythms, mm -hmm. you want different things, you're on different timetables, um, you're not sexually compatible. All those things could be a thing. Narcissistic relationships, a whole different animal. Mm. This And, and here's the, the, the piece I want people to be aware of. A lot of people think, like, tell me on my first date how I can tell I'm with a narcissist. I'm like, you ain't going to be able to tell that on our first date. In fact, I tell people on average it's not unusual for it to take almost a year to figure this out. Because first of all, in that early phase, you have a lot of narcissistic folks who are very love bomby. It's soulmates and Instagram posts and I'm in my fairy tale. And this is so happy and perfect night and champagne glasses and let's go on yeah. a weekend away. And it feels dreamy for some people, fairy tale-ish and all of that, right? Mm -hmm. Well, nobody can keep up that kind of momentum. And then anywhere from four weeks to four months, you will start seeing a little bit of a drop off and the real narcissistic person comes out. It might come out at times of frustration, stress, disappointment. They might get a little prickly, but they'll quickly sort of double back, right? Narcissistic people love the beginning of a relationship. It's a game for them. Lots of supply, lots of validation, lots mm -hmm. of excitement. It, narcissistic people are very naturally novelty and excitement seeking. They like those dopaminergic, like, woohoo, like right. they like that high. Lots of compliment and, giving. Lots of compliments. Oh, yeah. you're the best. How, how did I ever get so lucky to get such a boyfriend? They eat that stuff up. Mm -hmm. But the little things will be happening. There might be a gap gaslight here or there. And then with time, there's going to be more of those. About a year in is when people often have enough puzzle pieces where they're like, there's something not right here. But the problem is a year in, you're in. 
Some folks are already engaged. Some people have moved in. Some people are pregnant. Some people have gotten married. Other people feel like I've just wasted a year of my life. Right. I'm getting older, whatever it may be. A year ain't no short period of time. No, Let me no. tell you that now. And so, but it takes a minute because narcissism, like all personality styles, is a pattern. One time being selfish, one time yelling at a waiter doesn't, doesn't make someone. someone narcissistic. It's multiple, you need lots of data points mm -hmm. and you can only get that with time. And so it takes a minute to see it. And I think that that's where it gets, a narcissistic relationship is one characterized by all the pattern, manipulation, gaslighting, invalidation, taking advantage, betrayal, all of that. But another key element of the narcissistic relationship is a lot of upping and downing. You will often vacillate between periods of idealization Hi. and invalidation. Idealization, that. invalidation, mm. breakup, makeup. And there's often a cycle. Love mm. bomb is followed by devalue. Devalue is typically followed by discard. And then if the relationship breaks up for a minute, Lots of hoovering in all, not all cases though. I'm going to win them back. I'm going to get, get back you back to get back them. together. Mm. So it's highs, lows, breakup, makeup, volatility. And there's, there is a, that can draw some people in, right? Because people are trying to hold on to those good days. The good days are good. You, the narcissistic people are charming. Maybe even better than your other relationships where uh, they were well, medium good days. Well, they're, these are people who are charming, charismatic, confident attractive. They're, they come up with interesting things to do. Mm. They're really good at data mining other people. They pay attention. They know what matters to them. For all of their lack of empathy, they actually have a real canny ability to read other people. Mm. So they know what's important. So when they need to when they need to turn the ship around, they know exactly it what to dangle. It can feel like they're empathizing or that, oh, they mm -hmm. know so much about me, but they're really data mining. It's not empathy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. There's a big difference. And that's oh, sorry, it. But people yeah. also get stuck in that cycle of there's a thing called trauma bonding. And trauma bonding is when we equate love with the 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 high and low, with the um, with the inconsistency, with uh, the the good days and the bad days. And you get stuck in that cycle because just as a person says, okay, this is ridiculous. This person has betrayed me again. This mm -hmm. is unhealthy. And then bam, some good days show up. And for the narcissistic person, whatever the good day looks like. For some narcissistic folks, the good day is them bringing expensive gifts. It could be them planning an elaborate picnic. It could be them cleaning up the house, um, taking you away on a weekend, whatever it may be picking up the check for your whole family at dinner, taking everyone on a family vacation. Whatever it is, the problem is, is that the narcissistic person views those good deeds as erasers. Right. So all that other bad stuff, you never get to have a conversation about that. And they'll often say, I'm sorry, why are we bringing this up? Like, look at what they a great wanna, person I am. They don't want to talk about mm -mm. The, the problem yeah. that mm -hmm. was there to then avoid right. that in the future. Mm -hmm. And they it brings up a lot of shame for them to bring that up, so they right. don't. And so then you're left in this situation where you feel silenced when you're trying to address these patterns. And now, but this is in the middle of them paying $1,000 for everyone you know to have dinner. And so a lot of people will gaslight themselves and say, maybe I'm being a jerk. Like this person has taken everyone to this great, great restaurant and they're being so nice to everyone. Like maybe I'm the problem. And then people get into that cycle of blaming themselves, right. doubting themselves, thinking they're the problem. That's why the book's called It's Not, it's you. not you. This is These are the cycles people get caught into. Could it even be not even a grandiose act, but it could be just a 
what seems to be a very sincere moment mm-hmm. of emotional intimacy yep. of just connecting with them and going to a sweet dinner and holding their hand and just feel they appear to feel very close to the other person mm-hmm. and you'll go oh they see they really do love mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. and and so that could include that as yep, well absolutely yeah absolutely okay so when you feel like dr dr romani's talking about in that you're feeling the gaslighting you're feeling the the betrayal you're feeling the really highs and really real lows that you have maybe not experienced those kinds of highs they're so mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. they must feel too good mixed with those lows yeah your community is also, you know, concerned for you. Uh, I'm assuming there's been a lot of external support that might might or might not crop up of saying, you know, saying, ah, I see some red flags with this relationship. It could it could come or go depending on the kind of narcissist mm-hmm. you're dealing with, romantic, familial, work environment. There's different scenarios. Mm-hmm. But um, for the people that do have a support system voicing concerns or the, for the ones that don't, how do you start to, I guess the first thing I would ask you even before a breakup is how do you, and I even wrote this down so I wouldn't even get it wrong. I have two two stacks of notes here. How do you process the love that you feel is real mm-hmm. when it potentially isn't real as a result of dating a narcissist? How do you undo, how do you start to detach from those really strong feelings of love? To a person that you might fear has narcissistic tendencies, you're saying that you you you're you have love for them. You have love for them, but you have a feeling there's intuition in a lot of people's bodies. If right. they're not too far in, they don't have right. children, they're not married. How do they start to process before they could even start a breakup? Mm-hmm. They go, oh, but I love them so much. Mm-hmm. How do they process? Is that love real? How to move forward while still potentially loving them? Mm-hmm. How to stop loving them, unconditioning themselves mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. that love? What is that pre-process, that pre-step before the breakup right. begins? Right. So number one thing I would tell people who say, I, I was this even love that I felt? It was. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. you loved this person because you 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 love them. You got to know you got to at least you got to know what they showed you. You had an experience and to you it was real. I think it's very important that a person says, well, maybe I didn't love them. You did love them. That's mm-hmm. the problem. Okay. Right. And I don't know that a person can really detach from their feelings of love. Mm-hmm. I think love is an incredibly involuntary, deep human experience that's tinged with our own histories. It's a complicated emotion. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not, and I'm not saying it's it's never necessarily bad, but it can get tinged with old narratives about love that may mm. not always be the mm-hmm. best for you, right? But when that moment comes, when you feel, and a lot of people feel it in their body before they feel it in their mind, they're like, something doesn't feel right here. It totally doesn't feel yeah. safe. Mm-hmm. And, and they will start testing the waters. People will start sort of doing the mental experiments in their mind, like, well, what, let me try this. Let me try that. And a lot of people will do that. They'll say, let me try this to see what that does, if that'll work. Because the key element to remember about the narcissistic relationship, it's not as simple as to say, there's something afoot here. This is this doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel safe. It's emotionally abusive. It's invalidating. I don't feel, I don't feel seen. I don't feel heard. You know, in fact, I feel quite devalued. All of that is that these patterns won't change. And I think one thing that a lot of people will do because they love someone is say, well, let me just try to show up better. Let me hear about their day. Let me do this. Let me Clean do that. Clean up their side of the street, so to speak. And, and it, there's nothing to be cleaned up. Right. So people are trying. It becomes an experiment. I'm going to try this and see what happens. I'm going to try this. And nothing's really changing because it really can't change. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
But as a person recognizes more and more like this is not healthy, then the, 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 and they keep testing it. Like, okay, I'm trying this and it's not, it's, I'm trying this and it's not, it's not okay. Is it still can take a minute for that sort of penny drop moment, that proverbial rock bottom as it was when you're thinking, this is not working. This does not feel okay. Mm-hmm. And this is where things get a little bit treacherous because a person is thinking like, I'm not looking forward to seeing them anymore. I always tell people like, how much are you sort of eggshell walking as you compose a text? Mm, mm-hmm. Are you being careful in every word you choose? I'm not saying people should be firing off mindless text, but if you're like, no, 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 I have to say it that way because if I say it that way, then or even if you're da, brainstorming da, da, da. before yeah. a text mm-hmm. of how do I approach a topic mm-hmm. and you're going from right. different angles, or yeah. they're in the back of your mind thinking, you know, how do I work each part of my life? Yeah. And they're the first person that you fear is going to be a blockade in That's something right. you want to do. All of those things. So you have to really, really lean into that. And then people might say, okay, this is not working for me. And now when once people sort of start that process mm-hmm. of, I don't think this is working for me, breaking up from a narcissistic person is not for the faint of heart. No. Because if you're the one doing the breaking up, they're going to experience it as an ego injury, mm-hmm. as an abandonment, and as a rejection. And people who are narcissistic experience something called rejection sensitivity. It's there's no, no, no. I, basically, for a narcissistic person, a relationship is a place of domination and control. And really, who do you think you are rolling in here, calling the shots? No, no, no. And they That's believe it. I don't they, even know if it's conscious in all of these people. believe it. Truly believe it. So when you try to break up with them, you may get any number of reactions ranging from oh, really, it's going to be like this? Do you, No one's ever going to love you the way I do. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, you, what do you think? You're going to find someone else like me? You're going to, you're, and then they'll, send, they'll either text you or tell you a whole list of what they're like, let me tell you everything that's wrong with you, and it'll be hurtful, vulnerable things. Um, they may then, you might then enter a phase of what we call post-separation abuse, mm-hmm. where you might see everything ranging from, at the more severe cases, stalking, um, online harassment. Um, so the very person who said all these things are wrong with you, they're also trying to get you back. They're trying to get you back. Exactly. But, but at first they're going to punish you. It's mm-hmm. basically how dare you make me feel vulnerable. You're, you're going to see their rage. You brought out their shame. You're going to see their rage. And so you'll see them really raging out. And a lot of it could be even enlisting people, mutual friends, and saying terrible things about you to them. And they may convert some of them over to their side yeah. of the fence. And you'll see that happen. Smear campaigns, all of it, okay? And so that will happen. And some people will think, oh my gosh, this is terrible. But here's where it gets tricky. Narcissistic relationships, by definition, are very confusing. Because people will say, oh, this is so hard because I remember... We had such a fun time doing this, or we have such a fun time doing that, or the sex is so great. The idolization. I'm so, is, I am so attracted right. to them. And that is, or we did have a lot of good times. Like it wasn't always terrible. So people might even be teetering. And maybe some of all this post separation stuff doesn't happen. But instead, it's the narcissistic person playing on doubt. You sure? You sure you want to end this? Because we sure did have a lot of good stuff together. And the person's like, no, no, no. This, and they're ho- trying to hold their ground. And then you're alone one mm. week, two weeks, four weeks. Maybe you go on a few dates and you're like, wow, it is bad out here. Mm-hmm. Late night text. They're very skilled at pulling someone back in. And then it becomes love bomb part two. 
right. and you're right back in the machine. And that's very, very common. Many, many people Get back will together. go back into these relationships. Multiple times. Multiple times. Yeah. I think one thing you said to, um, I said to me on one of your YouTube videos that really resonated with me was when you are dating a narcissist and you said it, you touched on it earlier in this podcast was you get to be a part of their narcissistic euphoric feeling. Like, I think I'm so yeah. great. Look at this dopamine I can I can blast out of my body. And you get the receiving end of that dopamine mm -hmm. where it's us together against the world. Mm -hmm. And so you, without being a narcissist, get the narcissist's euphoria mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. you're dating that narcissist. Mm -hmm. And so breaking up, you're also losing yeah. some of that dopamine hit that was like secondhand dopamine almost. If that's definitely not a psychological term. But it depends on how long the relationship lasted. I see. Okay. Right. So if it's if it's new, I'd say if it's year, a year or less. A year or less. Some people might say like you know that 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 ship sailed long ago. But if it's new enough that you can recall right. that, or it sometimes wafts back in, then people will say this was a lot harder to end. And again, it's a. It, it's that it's that backing and forthing, the good and the bad. That's the tough part about these relationships. These, if they're acting manipulative every single day, it's going to be a lot easier right, to do this. Right, right, right. Do you have any advice for people that are living in that murky gray area, that back and forth? Because I think a lot of listeners that mm -hmm. reach out to resources like your podcast, mm -hmm. like your YouTube, mm -hmm. like your books. I mean, this is a, a great resource mm -hmm. as well of saying, how do I stay, stick to my ground yeah. How, yeah. How, do, how do I do it? Mm -hmm. I tell people that, number one, as, as much as it might sound cynical, the measure of this relationship is the bad days. Mm -hmm. The measure of a relationship is how a partner responds to stress, how a partner responds to frustration. Because to the degree you want this to be a long-term committed relationship, there will be stress and frustration. There will be job losses. There will be kids. There will be sick family members. There will be your own illnesses. And if this person can't stand having to wait in line and when they have a reservation at a right. restaurant you're you're, 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 you're this is telling you're doomed you're yeah. absolutely doomed right if they're too selfish to help you with a move because it interferes with their golf game hmm. how are they going to take time off to help you with a child or hmm. with something more important so you really do sadly have to judge a relationship on its bad Worst days. Case. You do. I mean, it, that's the that that's the the test of a relationship. The good days may be fun, but that's almost judging life on the basis of vacation. Right. I mean, if I judge my life on the basis of that, great, wonderful. But yeah. then it doesn't teach me how to deal with the real stuff of life. One thing I really do instruct clients to do is as depressing as this thing I'm going to tell you to do is. I say, start making a list of all the bad things that happen in the relationship mm. because it can help to see it all in one place. In the midst of the euphoric recall of wanting it to be something else, because we write stories around our relationships, right? Absolutely. There's the actual person we're in the relationship with, and there's the way we want this person to be. And the bigger that gap is, mm -hmm. the more we make up excuses to narrow to fall in gap. love with the potential correct and and that but that story is an entire fiction mm -hmm. so it's important to write down the things that happen all of it and it feels awful and it feels gross and sometimes friends can help and sometimes therapists can help and slow down if it's it's causing you too much upset because some people mm -hmm. get upset at doing mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. but when you feel that euphoric recall when you have that hoovering experience when you wonder if you've made the wrong decision look at the list and you'll say, oh, usually most people are like, okay, I can't do that anymore. And it takes time to make that list. But it's really important you do because that's actually a more objective indicator. You don't write things like, oh, I don't like them. It's things like, 
you know, showed up three hours late to my sister's birthday party and then, you know, was sat sullenly in the corner and then insulted me, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, promised me that we were going to do something four times, broke those promises and then blamed me for those broken promises. Mm -hmm. Like, you need to write this down. I tell people, save it all. Save the text. Save the emails. Put it all together. It doesn't have to be a list. It could be a file. And when you're when you're wavering, go back and then really say, okay, this was a very strong, healthy decision mm. for me to step out of this. And then to play one more devil's advocate scenario of these back and forths, because mm-hmm. I, it's such a a, pin, a pain point in in narcissistic relationships and getting out of them is, let's say um, they have a really you know a real sob story as mm-hmm. maybe a, a vulnerable narcissist might yeah, have. They often do. And. How do you decipher someone that's had a bad go at life Yep. and they're trying, they didn't have good modeling growing yep. up and they're trying to change their ways right. and they're putting on months of good behavior. Mm-hmm. How do you know that that person truly might be that narrative in itself? They were down on their luck. They're trying to do better. They're going to therapy. They're trying to change their ways. How do you know when a narcissist will just be a narcissist or someone's trying to get better and is that worth saving the relationship? If you see someone making a concerted effort, they're going to therapy. Mm-hmm. They are catching themselves. Listen, none of us are perfect. None of us. Not narcissistic person, not me, not you, nobody. We all make mistakes in relationships. The measure of a relationship is not being mistake-free. Mm-hmm. It's about making amends and making recognition and taking responsibility when we mess up and say, I, this was not okay, what I just said. And not, and um, I'm sorry you feel that way. You don't say that. You say, I am so sorry. I hurt you and Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. And then you put that out there and you have faith that that person might accept that. They may, they may not. All we can do is do that. So you're looking for appropriate apologies, no more blame shifting, taking of responsibility, taking accountability, commitment to therapy. Listen, if you've got someone doing all that, they may not actually have a narcissistic right. personality. Okay. Right? They may have complex trauma. They may have post-traumatic stress. They mm-hmm. may have been struggling with depression. There may have been something underlying. They may have an anxiety disorder. And so then they put themselves in therapy and actually got the support and help they needed. You're, ten- you're not going to tend to see that as much with as a person is narcissistic. Right. Yeah. Or someone that'll go to maybe two, uh, something to prove a point to the partner. Correct. And no. then they drop out. That's right. not including. That's that's not going faking. to therapy. No. Yeah, future yeah, faking. Yeah, right, no. right. And then do, how often do you find that therapy, uh, therapy, narcissists will be on good behavior before another episode strikes? A lot. I mean, I think Three, that's months, the shape-shifting. Or is it that... It could be... I think probably four, six weeks is probably more normal. Three, before four months some kind of episode. Mm-hmm. And you know, okay. something I tell folks is that most people stay in narcissistic relationships too long mm. because they don't want to have to live with the regret of did I leave too soon? And I'm like, if that's what works for you, that's fine. Right. You, now, you now know for sure that what you did was you, you, it's firmed up a date and you're still on the fence, right? But I do think that most people stay too long and some people go back. And I would say too long isn't fair. Is that It's almost as though you knew this wasn't going to be healthy. There's yeah. something I write about in this book. I, I call it going into the tiger's cage, right? And clients will say, I don't know. I don't know. It's not, listen, I don't have a crystal ball. But I also know that experience is the harshest but the best teacher of all. And I say, if you're really on the fence, you really want to go in there and have this conversation, have it. I'm like, but, but, but I know we're not supposed to engage. And I said, but you're, you're, you're making yourself absolutely driving yourself mad. Right. 
going, I call it going into the tiger's cage is imagine you're looking in a cage. There's a feline animal on the other side. It happened to be a cat person. <laughs> and you're like, is that a cat or is that ti a tiger? I guess I said, you're not going to know unless you pet it. Going in the tiger's cage means if, if, if you're wrong and this person's not narcissistic, mm -hmm. you walk in that cage and you're just cuddling a pretty kitty and you were just a little wrong, just like your cat might scratch you. But if they are a narcissistic person, they're going to tear you apart and you're going to have to maybe sometimes go back in there, communicate the communicate, do the thing, say the say, tolerate the three months and see how it turns out. Mm. Sometimes we need more data points to be and sure. And there's nothing wrong with that. Everyone has their own path. Right? There's no shame. There's no judgment. It absolutely makes sense. And my last question, focusing on the breakup side of things versus the post breakup side of things of a 12 month mm -hmm. detox is how do you decipher when, and you touched on this a little bit just now, but how do you decipher when to stay in a narcissistic mm -hmm. relationship? Like you say in your other podcasts mm -hmm. of sometimes people can't leave mm -hmm. and they have to stay. Mm -hmm. So here's your guideline for staying. Mm -hmm. How do you decipher what constitutes staying or not staying from a professional's point of view? So I, it's a very personal decision. Yeah, it's case by right? case. Right. It's always going to be, and it is not something I I don't think, I mean, let's take physical violence out of the, uh, out of yes. the scenario, right? Yes. But this has to be the client's call, right? This has to right. be a person's call. Okay. They have to be able to take responsibility for that and that whatever path they choose, they're going to learn from it. And so some people stay for practical reasons, for cultural reasons, for because they love the person, because they have hope it'll still change, mm. which means they haven't radically accepted that, that it won't, yeah. right? And that's going to run its course. They're going to see that this is not this is not they it, it is a problem it's not changing but so but some people stay and they truly can't leave even when the love is gone mm. even when the hope is gone they have to stay and in those mm. cases it's really about radical acceptance and realistic expectations it's right. some people hear this and say that sounds awful but i mean it's life isn't always easy and these are people who recognize this will never be the deep sustained loving consistent relationship that they had hoped for, but rather it's a little bit hollow and it's superficial and it's shallow and and yet they'll bid up, build out friendships, other parts of their lives that are meaningful and purposeful. But staying in it and waiting for it to change, that's the ultimate in futility. Right. That's the staying side. For people who decide to go, it's still not a picnic. It's not like, woohoo, I left my narcissistic relationship. <laughs> Everything's <left> great. great. <laughs> people get caught up in the currents of euphoric recall, mm -hmm. of regret, of confusion, of fear of being alone, um, of, I know, has life passed me by, of, gosh, now they're dating someone new and they look like they're having a good time. Maybe it was me. Maybe, Maybe it, it was, was my me. Fault. They've already, you know, they're, they're living their best life. And so that new person's getting a better version of them. No, they're not. <laughs> the, the old version's <laughs> always going to come back. And so, or the original version. Yeah. And so people who decide to go and then on top of that, there might be the post-separation abuse and all right. of that. They have doubts and questions too. So whatever path you're on, these relationships are so confusing that whether people stay or go, it really messes them up. We're going to talk about the 12-month detox mm -hmm. and what that is about. What is a 12-month yeah. detox? People don't like the 12-month detox. And that's <laughs> really where I tell people, if you were in a narcissistic, invalidating, gaslighting, manipulative call it what you will, relationship, and it lasted a year or longer, 
you need to take a year off from dating. And a year or longer, a you year need longer, to take a year, a year off. And it's I'll, usually the medicine you don't want to take, but it's, it's going to make you better. And people will say, what? What? Come on. I was lonely in that relationship. Rebound sex is how I can heal. And then someone else will get my mind off of it. The problem is, is that for some folks, having gotten into a narcissistic relationship is a wake-up call on legacy issues that have been there all along about mm not seeing themselves as a whole person, giving giving too much of themselves into a relationship to make a relationship work, right? right? For other people, it's so much was done to them that they literally lost sense of who they were. But that's what we lose when we're in a narcissistic relationship. We lose our sense of self. We lose our autonomy. We lose our individual sense. We lose our inner compass. We lose our intuition. And it takes time to get those things back. You're not going to do that in a week or two weeks or three weeks. And the problem is if somebody quickly gets into a new relationship, mm -hmm. then what happens is that they, they're already now going to find themselves, if they don't wait that year, already giving in and catering to what the new person wants, just as they were sort of perhaps silencing their own needs right. and wants and interests in the narcissistic relationship, that muscle is still strong. Right. We want that one to sort of fade away, mm -hmm. right? And so- that year means it, it's a year of connecting back into yourself, reminding yourself or maybe discovering for the first time, what do you like to eat? What time do you like to go to sleep? What temperature do you want the house to be date at? Date yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, but it's even beyond a date yourself. It's a know yourself. Right. It's excavate yourself. What do you mm. stand for? Who are you? What are you about? What do you really want life to look like? Because a narcissistic person is so larger than life and, right. and feels almost like the answer to all of our problems that we shape ourselves to them. And they're, and the thing is, you're on a different, you got the two, you and a narcissist are, are entirely different agendas. Mm -hmm. People with narcissistic personalities view relationships as a place that they they want power, control, and dominance. You might want closeness and intimacy and connection. You're playing two. You're playing two different games. Which can One of feel you feel like the same game sometimes. Well, because they, yes, because they're going to do what they need to do to keep you in that position, right? right? And so it comes down to knowing who you are, so that when those things are happening to you, you might be when somebody's trying to make you not be you. At least you know who you is. You're like, mm, no, that's actually not what I like to do, and might even learn to exert yourself. It's a year of anniversary dates birthdays and holidays mm -hmm. that you are now being made to celebrate on your own. There will be moments you're screaming into your pillow and thinking, oh, I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be alone. You will get to the end of that year. And invariably at the end of that year, what I see is people are like, I needed that. Wow. I am much more clear on who I am and what I'm about. And yes, there were points that I was lonely, but I came to the other side and I didn't succumb to the narcissistic person. And some people will look back and say, I can't believe the nonsense I put up with in that, in that relationship. Yeah. But if you start dating someone new, you don't do the postmortem. You don't grieve that properly. Right. You don't let it go. Now, if it's less, let's say you were in a narcissistic relationship or an emotionally abusive, gaslighting, negating relationship, and it was seven months, eight months. I'll give you a seven or as long as the relationship was at that right, point, right? right. Makes sense. Seven months, eight months, however, five months, six months, however long the relationship was. Yeah. Right. That's, I think, especially if you're saying screaming into the pillow moment and I don't want to be alone, it's really hard to look in the mirror and say that sentence that's coming out of me that I have the urge to even say is all the more reason mm -hmm. If you have enough wherewithal and, and gumption about yourself at that point to say that's why yep. I need this. Mm -hmm.
That's exactly right. Yeah. You have got to get back into your, in, your your whole self. And for many people, they didn't even get to do that out of childhood. So even into mm -hmm. adulthood, they really define themselves by their primary relationships. Yeah, I, I think I'm sure you see this a lot in your practice that it's most likely people feeling that they wasted time and they have to catch up because yes. the longer you're in a relationship or the more years you're in a happy relationship, the happier life's going to be. And that's right. not directly proportional to no, happiness. I mean, being, or being, fulfillment. In a, being in a happy relationship is great for you. It's great for your health and it could make you happier. But if you don't know who you are, what you're about, what your needs are, what you want, your wants are, and feel that you can express them. And if you're in a relationship where those can't be expressed, right. that that's not okay, then you're not going to get to that balanced, equitable, safe kind of relationship. Mm. So what is the, the book overall is focusing on a 12-month detox outside of a narcissistic It's really focused on healing from one. So right. it doesn't matter if this narcissistic relationship was with a partner, mm -hmm. a parent, colleague, friend, I mean, sibling. I mean, we, people have all kinds of narcissistic relationships. I have to say, even in my healing program, think about 78 to 80% of them are working on a, an intimate, a, a a intimate relationship, romantic relationship. Okay. So that seems to be the one that probably does the most harm to people, but it's about all of it. It's about oh. the importance of radical acceptance and yeah. the unchangingness of it, not just how their behavior and they aren't going to change, but that this is going to hurt for a long time. Mm. There's no magic pill. There's no magic wand that makes it all go away. It changes you. It's the realistic expectations that this is not going to change. It's the grief and being with the grief of time you feel that was wasted. Mm -hmm. It's the grief of losing what you thought was true. It was believing you were in a fairy tale, finally believing you deserved it to find out that the whole thing was was really not a fairy tale. It was a manipulation. There's grief around all of those things. you know. And then it's the, the many, many small things a person can do to really reconnect with themselves. Again, to know who they are, to to make themselves into their own touchstone. A big thing is developing healthy social support. All of us need at least one person in our lives where we can show up as our true selves and not be invalidated. That just almost becomes like anti-gaslight right. potion because you're saying, okay, this is what it feels like to be seen and to be heard and mm -hmm. to be valued and that this person is there no matter what, right? Whereas with a narcissistic relationship, it's all conditional. So about building up those supports. And then and then more than anything else, though, is someday you'll be all the way through this breakup. But there's a whole world of people out there. Right. And a goodly chunk of them are narcissistic or at least invalidating and manipulative. How do I avoid this? Mm -hmm. How do I become discerning? How do I pay attention to myself and say, this doesn't feel safe. This doesn't feel right. And give yourself permission to step away and take a longer lens. Like how did my past relationships affect how I'm showing up in this relationship? So there's a lot. There's mm -hmm. a lot there. Do you feel like it's a he your healing program in a book form? Very much so. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a certain process uh, that people can expect going through the book? Are there certain stages? Do you divide it by chapters? So it's, it's sort of like, this is what the, these relationships look like. And then it's, and this is how you and this is how you sort of navigate the territory on the other side because people will say why am i so confused am i dumb like what is wrong with me and it the whole the repetitive message mm -hmm. is there's nothing wrong with you any of us who have been through these relationships rich or poor 
young or old, no matter what the gender, the ethnicity, the, the part IQ. of the world, the <laughs> IQ, ability status, pick something. It's all, we kind of all have the same experience because we're going in with a different playbook than them. Mm -hmm. And we believe that this is about love and trust and connection. And that's not how they're coming at it. And then if you throw in other variables, like, for example, if in your relationship there were significant betrayals, mm -hmm. the narcissistic person cheated on you or financially abused you or something like that, there's a whole other healing process around mm -hmm. those betrayals as well. Do you feel like people that still love their partners, is there a place in the healing program or in your book for people that just can't find the love to dissipate over time? Absolutely. And a lot of that gets linked to the idea of trauma bonding. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to subsume all of that real love under trauma bonding, but it is the sense of a person feels pulled, called, compelled to stay in this relationship despite the harm it's causing right. me. And while most people, once they get educated on how narcissistic relationships work and how they don't really change and all that other stuff, once they really get that, many people will say, it's hard for me to give up the hope. But with that new knowledge, with that new radical acceptance that this doesn't change, then when they keep seeing the patterns again and again, it becomes less like a Groundhog Day thing <laughs> and more of a oh, this really doesn't change. Right. It changes how we learn from the repeated instances of their bad behavior. Like we think, this is the time they're going to listen. This is the time they're going to care that I'm not feeling well. This is, And then when it doesn't happen, you're like, okay, radical acceptance. <laughs> yeah, no, this isn't going to change. Right. So this book could be for someone that is trying to identify if they are in a narcissistic relationship, identifying getting out of that relationship, yep. and then the healing program mm -hmm. that follows. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And what happens if you quit the 12-month detox? <laughs> so, and that's the thing. There's no rules. There's no 12-month detox police that are going to come There's after no sponsors. you. Right. Okay. Nothing like that. Yeah, yeah. It is more of a, it's a, I feel everything can be learned from. Mm. There might be people who are watching this and saying, I was in a narcissistic relationship. Six months out, I became friends with someone. We started dating and we've been married for 30 years. Right. Yay. Wonderful. I, I want to hear that story every single day. I want to hear that everyone who's been through one of these relationships comes out the other side and lands in a beautiful, loving relationship for all time. Mm. If you do, I mean, again, you you here's the thing. If you meet someone who's compelling and you are spending time with them, but you really were to say to them, you know what? I came out of something really rough mm. and I am so enjoying my time with you and I want this to last. So I would welcome a friendship, but I really want to put this time into me because whomever I'm a partner to, I want to bring all of me into it. And I understand if you can't if you feel like, no, I, I, I don't want to wait a few more months. Right. If it's your person, they're, they're going to wait. wait. <laughs> they're going to wait. Yeah. I, I, uh, a good friend of mine, um, she's in her 60s, I believe. And she, 30 years ago, she, hmm. she met a man that she said, I just got out of something. And he said, well, how long do you need? And she goes, I think it was something like 50 dates. It was quite some time. Hmm. And he would call her up every Friday night after every date. for like, It was almost like a year. And said, how did that date go? Is that good? Did that go well? 
you know, just 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 saying hi. And he stuck around for the next year, and they've been now married for thirty plus years. Wow. And she met him in her sixties. So she met him in she her thirties, and now they're in, in their sixties. But yeah, he called yeah. every mm-hmm. every Friday night. Mm-hmm. She he, she mm-hmm. he knew that she was going to yeah. have a date. Yeah. And he and he said, she said, I just need to take my time before I get into something long term. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he did. He called every mm-hmm. Friday night, mm-hmm. and so she'd always expect the call. Yeah. And they were friends for yeah. a year, and he always would check on her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that 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 idea that There's no excuse. I, I'm I've met someone in there fabulous, or I want to have sex. Listen, I get you want to have sex. I get that. I get all of that. And it feels good. Like, I mean, you can do your own business. Right. You know, I mean, like, it's just a, because that starts getting really messy too. Some people will, you know, deceive themselves saying like, no, no, I got this. It's going to only be sex. But there's so many wounds after these relationships that, again, it's not an ordinary breakup. In an ordinary breakup, people grow apart. There is a shared experience of growing apart. Mm-hmm. It's not about power and control. It could be someone saying, I'm not ready. You, you don't feel, feel that anger. You, you don't feel the feel sickness. Sadness you feel sad. And quiet yeah. and still the soft Correct. love for them. You feel sad. You feel sad. You feel like, ah, in a different time, in mm-hmm. a different era, but, um, or this person's going to be magnificent for someone else. Mm-hmm. It's not me because I'd be holding them back from whatever the things are. And you do that from such a compassionate place. Right. It's yeah. compassion, that mm-hmm. feeling of yeah. compassion. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm looking forward to checking out your Thank book. Thank you it's so not you. much. It's in the filing and healing from narcissistic relationships. If you guys have taken anything from this podcast, please go check out Dr. Romani's podcast. Uh, I keep saying podcast. YouTube channel. <laughs> YouTube channel. Dr. Romani's YouTube channel. I, I listen to it in the car where it's like awesome. a podcast. Uh, but I promise I'm not visually looking at the screen, guys. I'm still driving. Uh, and anywhere else you would like to promote your work? Absolutely. Yeah. We have a healing program for mm. people who are going through, you know, the process of healing from narcissistic relationships. Some people in the program are still in their relationships. Some are out. Mm-hmm. And it's every month we have a workshop and Q&A oh, yeah. and, and a community and, and journal prompts. And so you can go on my website, drromany.com. And you'll find information about that. I have other books on the topic. I um, I do have a podcast called Navigating Narcissism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not you can find me in other places, not just like, wonderful podcasts like yours, places like MedCircle, Med all of that. There's great. all kinds of yeah. different places where I share these, you know, I share what I know about this and what people's experience has been. Well, it's really, really helpful because this is not a normal breakup. I have, can't no. read it that more. No, and it's really not. No. I really feel like, especially when you say about the, the sex thing of, I think the biggest, hardest lesson from a layman's term of approaching an, uh, a breakup with a narcissist is the amount of self-inventory you have to Correct. take and the amount of self-awareness and honesty mm-hmm. of knowing uh-huh. sex is too much of a of an entanglement mm-hmm. to get involved uh-huh. with. People don't want to they want it. They want to turn away and eat the mm-hmm. cupcake. They don't want to face the truth. Yeah, it, and these are hard truths. Yeah, to face. and they're they, really hard they truths. Really, to face. really are. But it isn't an ordinary breakup. And as I was saying, I, unlike many other, many times we could have had a breakup with someone if there was a healthy relationship, and say, I'm so glad that person was in my life, even though it mm. didn't work out. I feel better for it. I feel blessed for it. I am glad even though this wasn't my forever person. And years down the road when you hear that they've gotten married or had kids or whatever, you're happy for them. You're not praying that that partner is not facing the same thing you face. Or or you're just saying, I can't believe that this person has gone off and sort of is living their best life while I'm still picking up pieces. It it feels Mm. incredibly unjust. There's no, because remember the narcissistic person shifts blame. They don't take responsibility. They don't, they aren't accountable. So there's not even that moment, like there could be in a healthy breakup where a person would say, you know what, 
I was working all the time. It's no wonder this didn't work out. And mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. You, you, all you were asking for was more time. And that wasn't a big ask. You feel seen and heard when it's a healthy breakup. When it's a breakup from a narcissistic person, you literally feel insane. And that feeling right. insane is a terrible thing to do to another person. It really, really is. And many people will say that hurt followed me around for years. I didn't trust for a long time. I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust other people. I didn't trust the emotion of love anymore. I mean, a lot gets lost and that makes me angry. Mm -hmm. And I see amazing people curtail their potential because they're in these relationships because they're told that they're less than or ridiculous or their dreams are foolish. It's not okay. Right. And even when the relationship ends, people have internalized those voices. Right. It's not a normal breakup. It's not a normal breakup. And no. that's why mm -hmm. I'm so happy you're here to talk about that. You have a book coming out. I do. It's called It's Not mm -hmm. You and Healing and Identifying Narcissistic Relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, would you just touch on it? Give me the log line. These relationships will change you, but they won't break you. These relationships will change you, but they won't break you. A lot of life lessons. You're going to be really strong coming out of a narcissistic relationship. You'll be really strong. <laughs> Initially, you won't feel strong, but I think right. that there's an element of resilience. We all learn about ourselves that if we can get to the other side of this, we learn a lot about our flexibility, mm. about our um, about our vulnerabilities, about our strengths. A boundary masterclass. Yeah. After yeah. after yeah. a narcissistic mm. relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's important that even if you're not sure, there are resources like It's Not You, mm -hmm. your other books. Mm -hmm. There's resources out there to know if you're in fact what you're in, what you think you're in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really so appreciate much, it. Thank Thanks you. for joining. We'll see you next week. Uncoupling Podcast is produced by Stampede Ventures, Jason R. Ellis, and Holland Roden.